good morning. Uh, and if you've got a Bible, do pick it up and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 18 uh, for our next uh, passage in Matthew. Uh, and as you turn there, let me pray for us. Uh, our Father in heaven, uh, you're the one who gives sight uh, to the blind. Unless you come and give us sight by your spirit this morning, uh, we will remain blind. So we pray that as we read your word, as we uh, listen to it, uh, your spirit will come to us and open our, uh, the eyes of our hearts so that we might see. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse uh, 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Let me read. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and uh, children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Uh, and uh, they went and reported to their master all that had taken, taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We store up hurts in our hearts. Things that people have done wrong against us, ways in which people have mistreated us, and we store them up in our hearts. Like I can even remember uh, when I was a year nine boy, finding uh, my homework textbook torn up in the bin. Now that is completely irrelevant to me now, but it hurt me then, and I still remember it now. We store up hurts in our hearts. Uh, I wonder if you've had that experience of your mind turning something over, some slight that you received, and you just can't get it out of your head. Or, or as you lie awake at night, your heart obsessing over how someone has slandered you. Or maybe something else. Uh, we store up hurts in our hearts, and secretly what we all want is justice. And more than justice, we want revenge. We want the wrongdoer 
uh, to be shamed and exposed. And that makes our passage this morning really hard, really hard for us to hear because in verses 21 to 22, Jesus calls us to shocking forgiveness, to not store up our hurts, but to forgive those who have hurt us. That's our first point this morning. Jesus calls us to shocking forgiveness. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus just announced that on Peter, on, uh, on the rock, he's going to build his church. And that's what Jesus is doing now. He's building his church. But Jesus also knows he's going to build a church that is full of sinners. He's going to bring together and unite as brothers and sisters a family who will hurt one another. I'm sure even now as you sit, you can think of times at which when you've been hurt by Christian um, brothers and sisters. Perhaps you can think of times when you've been hurt at Christchurch. Jesus knows that our, our biggest problem and the biggest problem to the church being built will be our sin. Sin fractures and divides people. Sin seeks to split the church. It turns our fellowship rank. And sin comes and makes our love turn bitter and make it into a duty. And so Jesus teaches us what to do with sin. Uh, just before our passage in verses 15 to 17, he teaches us what to do with the unrepentant sinner, the one who refuses to say sorry for their sin and continues regardless. He says, cast them out of the church. But this morning in our passage, he tells us what to do with the repentant sinner. It must be a question Peter was pondering, but down at verse 21, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Now that's a direct echo of what Jesus said in verse 15. And he's pondering the question, how many times should I forgive? He might even be remembering the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples that they must ask God for forgiveness, just as they have forgiven others. And he comes forward, Peter comes forward, with a generous offer. He says, as many as seven times, in verse 21. And that's generous for lots of reasons. It's generous first because of the general teaching of that day, the teaching that the rabbis and the Pharisees were taught, is that, you should forgive someone up to three times. And on the third, fourth time, uh, you shouldn't. Fourth time, you can say no. Uh, and so Peter takes that, he doubles it, three, six, and then adds one, seven. It's a generous offer. But it's also generous by our own standards. I wonder if you look down into your heart of hearts, whether you really think you could forgive someone seven times. Just imagine seeing Peter's picturing, what he's saying. Imagine it all happens in a week. Uh, your brother, your Christian brother comes, or your Christian sister comes on the first day uh, and steals your jacket. Uh, but they come to you humbly and admit they've died and repent and say so you forgive them. On day two, they slander your name. The same thing happens. They come with tears in the, eye, in the eyes uh, and ask for forgiveness and you forgive them. Day three, they strike you unjustly. They repent, forgive. Day four, they flirt with your wife. They repent and you forgive. 
Day five, they accuse you of doing something wrong, which you did not do, but they repent and you forgive them. Day six, they verbally abuse your children. Repent, forgive. Day seven, they try and seduce your daughter, but they repent and you forgive them. Would you really go that far? How far would you get? At what point would you give up forgiving them? We need to see that by our standards, Peter is offering something generous. And we need to see that uh, to really feel the impact of what Jesus says next. Because of Peter's generous offer, Jesus has a shocking response. Verse 22, he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, the point there isn't that. He's saying literally count up 77 times and then after that you can stop forgiving them. No, the, the point is the opposite of that. The point is that our forgiveness of others has no limit. He says stop counting. Now, it's not saying that church discipline shouldn't happen. He's not saying that there aren't consequences for sin or, or that the sinner needs to repent. But he's saying that our forgiveness should be unlimited. It should be unlimited in number, the extent, the number of offences, uh, but it should also be unlimited in size. But there's another reason why uh, Jesus says 77. Just turn back to me, with me to uh, Genesis chapter 4. So you find it, Genesis chapter 4 verse 23. And we see that, that 77 come up again, right at the start of the Bible. Uh, verse 23, let me read. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a, a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, just like Peter's suggestion, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech says, a young man struck me and I killed him. My revenge was seventy-sevenfold. And I wonder, do you hear the echo of the world in that? You hit me, well, I'll break your leg. You stole my wallet, well, I'll bankrupt you. You flirted with my wife, you're a dead man walking. The world responds disproportionately to the way it's being wronged. It happens a lot in the Bible. Think of Jacob's children, Jacob had a daughter called Dinah, and she was raped. And what did Jacob's brothers do, Simon and Levi? Well, they don't just kill the man who raped her. They kill the whole town, all the men in that man's town. They murder them. Their revenge is more than 77-fold. Uh, but Jesus calls us to the opposite here in Matthew's Gospel. He says, not 77-fold revenge, but 77-fold forgiveness. I'm building my church and it's going to be radically different from the world. The world responds to being sinned against by closing its fists and getting ready to strike. But Jesus says, open your arms and get ready to receive the sinner. Be willing to embrace those who wrong you. Now, of course, the sinner must come. They must repent. They must be willing to be embraced for you to embrace them. But that's their business. Your business is to open your arms to them. So that if they do repent, they come and find 
or joy. They come and find peace. They come and find welcome and forgiveness. And isn't that so hard? To stand open-armed, ready to receive the one who sinned against you. Deep down, don't we want people who've slandered us to be shamed? Don't we want the people who, who've broken our trust to be distrusted? Don't we want the people who, who've let us down to feel the weight of their guilt? But Jesus says, no, open your arms and forgive freely without caveats. But it's not just the number of times you must forgive that Jesus is talking about. He says our forgiveness should be unlimited. And so he's also talking about the size. We tend to think immediately of like little sins, uh, which seem big to us, but anger or, or lust or envy. But Jesus says no, no limits. And so we must begin to lift our eyes to much bigger things. Now, I, I honestly don't know the way people have wronged you. I don't know the burden you bear. I, I don't know the, the scars and the wounds that you have suffered. And so you might say to me, Zach, you don't know how I've been wronged. If you did, you wouldn't ask me to forgive those people. But I do know this. When Jesus calls us to forgive, he's calling the Christian who's been sexually abused. He's calling the Christian who's been physically abused. He's calling the Christians around the world who've had friends and families murdered. Jesus says, no limits. I wonder if you can think of something to which you would say, no, I would never be able to forgive that. That is too horrific. Maybe the rapist or the paedophile. Recently in BBC News, there's been an article about a nurse called Lucy Letby. I wonder if you've seen it. It's pretty horrific. I read it and it made my stomach turn. It made my heart grow a little bit cold. This nurse, Lucy, well, apparently she murdered eight children, eight babies. And she attempted to murder ten more but was unsuccessful. I don't know if you can think of anything more horrific than that. Many of us watching this morning are our parents. We have children who are babies. Imagine if you were one of those parents who were sinned against by Lucy. Would you be able to forgive her? Do you, do you begin to feel how hard this is? It may be one of the hardest thing that, things that Jesus calls us to. Be able to forgive whatever the size Nothing is harder. If Lucy came to our church, what would she find? Would she find open arms if she repented? Would she find cold shoulders? Would we be able to forgive her? Not merely because we know it's our duty, because this passage tells us so, but would we be able to forgive her out of our hearts? You may be asking the question, why? You see it's hard. Why must we? Well, Jesus goes on to show us exactly why in this parable. It'd be easy to misread this parable, by the way, to, to think that Jesus is teaching that we might be able to lose our salvation, that once saved we might lose our salvation. Uh, but I think I'd be missing the point. I don't think he's making that point. 
And he's telling us why he calls us to shocking forgiveness. And the reason he does, and this is our second point this morning from the parable, is because God has forgiven us far, far more. He calls us to shocking forgiveness because God has forgiven us far more. I wonder who needs to hear this parable this morning. Well, you need to hear it. If uh, you're struggling to forgive someone who sinned against you. But you also need to hear it if you can think of a sin done against you, which hasn't happened, but which you know you struggle to forgive. That'd be all of us, really. Uh, you also need to hear it if you think more about other people's sin against you uh, than your own sin against God. Jesus tells a story of a servant who's suddenly confronted by a huge problem. He's suddenly confronted by the fact that he's massively in debt. He's been borrowing money from a king and he gets called into the courtroom and he finds out that his debt is 10,000 talents. Now again, a bit like number 77, we're not going to be sitting there calculating exactly how much that is. Uh, the point is, is, is a huge amount, uh, 10,000 is the word myriad. And so we say a myriad of something, myriad of angels, unnumbered angels. Uh, talent is just the, the largest unit of money um, that the, the Romans would have had. So 10,000 talents this is like saying a gazillion. You own them a gazillion coins. Uh, and he's confronted by his seriousness when, he's been, when the king demands that he pays and he's not able to. And he sees the consequences. Verse 25. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. I don't know what he was thinking before, whether he was just oblivious to his debt, whether he was ignoring it, whether he thought the king would never call him to account. But now he's confronted by the consequences. And so he does what any of us would do falls on his knees and pleads for more time, verse 26. Uh, here we see the shocking generosity of the king in verse 27. The king looks at the groveling servant and has pity. It's important to remember there's no obligation on the king to have mercy. This is mercy unmerited. He didn't have to, and yet he did. He cancelled the debt. The story then and moves on. And we, see, we have a bit of a mirror scene here. Uh, a very similar incident happens, but this time it's the servant who had the debt who is now owed money. He's owed 100 denarii, and that would have been actually quite a serious amount of money, um, maybe three to four months of the average labourer. Uh, but it's a grain of sand uh, compared to the debt that he owed the king. A grain of sand compared to the Sahara of the debt that he owed the king. And he goes to this seven he owes him 100 denarii and begins to choke him and says, pay what you owe. And then verse 29, the servant falls on his knees and pleads for more time. And in that verse, verse 29, we have an exact echo of what the first servant did. Uh, the first servant is, if you like, is now looking at a mirror image of himself. He's looking at himself groveling on the ground. What's the result? What does he do? He hardens his heart. Instead of having pity, he throws the servant into jail. And the king is told and he responds. 
And verse 33, Corsa went servant in and says, You wicked servant. Verse 32, sorry. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you. He says, you want to have what you deserve? You want to stand on your rights? Then I'll give you your rights. And hands them over. Well, actually, to jailers it says, but you see a little footnote there in the ESV. It actually means torturers until he pays back what he deserves. And if you, like, we, we all breathe a sigh of relief. Don't, don't we agree? Don't we think this is, this is the just thing to have happened to this first servant? But there's a punch to this parable. It's a punch to this parable. Comes in the question, where am I? Where am I? But as we hear it, as hearers, we naturally assume the position of the distressed servants in verse um, 31. Looking on and seeing the wrong done and running to the king. But Jesus in verse 35 puts us in the shoes of the fair servant. He says, if you refuse to forgive, then you are like the servant who has had a debt of 10,000 talents cancelled and yet refuses to forgive one who owed him 100 denarii. It's a sharp warning from Jesus. It's meant to be like, it's meant to grip us. Christians must forgive. Why don't we? Why do we struggle? Why is it so hard for us to forgive? Because we fail to see how much we've been forgiven. We fail to see how much we've been forgiven. Uh, you see it with the servants. Not only has he presumably been ignoring his debts, oblivious to it, pretending it's not there, but just read verse 26. What does he say? He says, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. So that is the one difference between verse 26 and verse 29. He says, I'll pay you everything. And as look is on, we must think that's absurd. His debt is like a planet. Even if he lived a hundred lifetimes, he'd never pay him back. But in the mind of the servant, he doesn't see the debt as big as it really is. Uh, he, he shrinks it, doesn't he? He makes it smaller than it is. It's a planet, but he thinks it's the size of a mountain. He thinks it's something that he can deal with. And we do the same with our sin. First of all, we, we ignore it, don't we? We pretend that we'll never be caught, uh, called to account. But even when we're confronted with it, we fail to grasp that it's a 10,000 talent debt. Um, Brant Hansen, I think that's how you say his name, Brant Hansen uh, wrote this book uh, called The Truth About Us. And basically it's a book saying, we're really terrible people, but we're devoted to proving that we're good. We're devoted to proving that we're good. And we're really good at convincing ourselves that it's true. We're terrible people, we're bad people, but we're really good at convincing ourselves that we're not. If you like, we're our own best self-defense lawyers. If we're in a, in a courtroom in a dock, uh, we're really good at trying to prove we're innocent. When in fact we're guilty as charged. 
We're t determined to show the world and show ourselves that we're victims and not criminals. It's a bit like a fair servant, actually. In one sense, he was a victim. He was owed 100 denarii. Uh, but his debt was far larger than that one. He was also a criminal. And so we fail to see how much God has forgiven us. But unlike the king, God can't just forgive our debt by wiping it aside. We know that, don't we? We know that he does something better than that. He sends Christ to die on the cross. We know that our sin is actually paid for. Not just wiped away, but it's actually paid for by Christ. But we still don't feel it. We don't feel the size of our debt. And in order to feel it, we need to start looking more closely at the cross. Uh, the place where Jesus stretched out uh, his arms and bled to death. You look more closely at Christ when he had the crown of thorns shoved on his head and had nails driven through his hands. And realise and grasp that you and me put him there. Not just the paedophile down the street. Not just the murderer or on the news, not just the tyrant king in another country. But we, my sin, put him on the cross. If he was paying for my sin alone, he would still have needed to go to the cross. My sin was enough to kill him. I wonder if you begin to feel the weight of that. God, God made this world good, didn't he? And he gives us so many good things to use for good. He gives us our breath so that we might lift our voices and praise him. But instead, we breathe out lies. He gives us our minds so that we might explore the awesomeness of his creation and the goodness of our God. But instead, we use them for wicked schemes. He gives us our hearts so that we might learn to love the Lord our God, and to love our neighbours ourselves, but instead out of our hearts flow all sorts of evils and anger and lust. And he gives us our feet, that we might walk in his ways, but instead we walk into darkness and death. And he gives us our hands, that we might care and create, but instead we use them to dominate and destroy he gives us so many good things and we take those good things and we use them for evil. Do you feel the weight of that? Perhaps you're watching this morning and you're not in fact a Christian. Do you know that you have a, a debt of 10,000 talents against your God? But that Christ has taken that on his shoulders on the cross. Go to him. You see, when Jesus dies on the cross, he stretches out his arms, open wide. That's what he calls us to do, and that's what he did do. And he says, come to me. Come to me. I have paid it all. What does he say when he's dying? When he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. It's only when we begin to feel, to begin to know, to understand the size of our debt, only then will our hearts be opened up and to forgive those who sin against us. 
Only when we realise that our crimes against God are far greater than the crimes of others against us. Only then will our stiff arms begin to loosen and unfold and embrace the sinner. Just imagine how that would change our church. If we had open arms to each other all the time, it means that we'd pull together, wouldn't it? It means that people wouldn't feel isolated because they've done something wrong, but would feel able to come and seek forgiveness, not frightened of being judged. We'd be able to go to our brother and say, listen, brother, you really did hurt me. You really did hurt me. What you did was wrong. But I can't hold it against you. I know God has forgiven me far, far more than that. It causes us to pull together. It also causes us to pull in. Pull in people. The world seeks revenge. The world seeks revenge when it's wronged. What a difference it would make if our church was one who offered forgiveness instead. We'd shine brightly, wouldn't we, in this world, and people would come to us with their burdens and lay them down and find forgiveness at the cross. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, um, you are so generous to us. Your generosity is shocking, it's scandalous. You've forgiven us so much and we fail so often to see it. Pray you'd open our eyes, uh, the eyes of our hearts more and more uh, to see our sin, to grasp how we have sinned against you. Uh, say that we might be those who open our arms uh, to the sinner, to those who have sinned against us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.